there. It is the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover politics. And I'm Asma Khalid. I cover the White House. And we have a special guest. Scott Horsley is here, Chief Economics Correspondent. Hello, friend. Great to be with y'all. And today we are going to talk about the economy in 2022. And we're going to lead off with some fresh data. We learned this month that inflation has begun to slow. In November, prices were up 7.1% from a year ago. That's down from a four-decade high of 9% in June. Now, for President Joe Biden, that was cause for celebration. We shouldn't take anything for granted. But what is clear is that my economic plan is working and we're just getting started. So, Scott, give us some perspective. Yes, it's good news, good-ish news, I would say, because 7% is still very high, right? Yeah, it is high. It's uh, uh, three and a half times what the Federal Reserve targets of 2% inflation. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, three and a half times what we were sort of used to in the decades before the pandemic. But the president is right that we can clearly see now inflation coming down. It's, it's, It's still much too high, but it is clearly coming down. And it's coming down you know, more broadly than it was, say, in in July when uh, Biden famously talked about zero percent inflation for the month, which was mostly just a reflection of falling gasoline prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the slowdown now is, is broader than that. We're seeing it in, in a lot of goods as some of those pandemic kinks in the supply chain are starting to get ironed out. And we're also seeing it in, for example, in the November numbers, there was a drop in prices for things like airline tickets and hotel rooms and rental cars, travel-related expenses. And that kind of suggests that the era of revenge travel, (laughs) when people were willing to (laughs) pay any price just to get out after being locked down for so long, uh, that era is kind of coming to an end. And people are being a little bit more price conscious uh, with with their travel. And when travelers or shoppers get more price conscious, that helps to curb inflation. You know, there is real reason for the White House to feel a sense of optimism right now. I mean, where the economy has been, I would say, for the last five-ish months in terms of inflation is really different than where the economy was for the first six months of the year. I mean, if we look back, and I'm sure we did have one of these year-ender economic conversations uh, in December of 2021, inflation was consistently creeping up. And it did. I mean, for the first half of the year, you heard the administration um, essentially kind of throw spaghetti at the wall and, and try all kinds of different explanations to see what would make sense to the public. They would talk about supply chain kinks. They would try to explain that inflation was a global phenomenon, which it is, and that prices were rising in other countries. They tried to explain that uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine was affecting gas prices. And it didn't seem like any explanation was really sinking in. And it also didn't help that inflation was month after month going up. Uh, As Scott mentioned, though, uh, I would say the last few months, we've seen inflation begin to dip, you know, if we're looking at year-over-year inflation. That all being said, though, seven uh, percent is still um, it's still higher than where uh, I would say many folks would want to be. It's still higher than where the White House would want inflation to be at this point as well. Right. Well, let's talk about that seven percent number and what goes into it. Because I know gas prices are down lately, but that has been offset clearly by rises in other costs. I know I've read that housing is a big one. Scott, what are some of the biggest components to that seven percent inflation right now? Yeah, housing is a big one. And uh, the the way that housing is calculated in the official government statistics, there's kind of a lag. So the inflation numbers were sort of slow to capture the 
acceleration in housing costs, rental prices uh, in, in 2021. And they're now actually a little bit slow to reflect what is clearly a, a cooling in housing inflation. If you look at sort of real-time data of what, what rents are looking like, uh, rental inflation probably peaked back in the spring. And so even though uh, housing costs are high, we, we do expect the housing contribution to inflation to, to ease up in the sort of the middle of next year. So you can kind of see the, the improvement on, on the horizon there. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, a lot of goods prices have started to level off a little bit. The real challenge now is the cost of services, you know, which is everything from health care to haircuts and restaurant meals and you know, dry cleaning. Uh, services other than housing make up about a quarter of all consumer spending. So it's a, it's a big piece of inflation. And the challenge there is uh, those are mostly driven by labor costs. You know, the cost right. of dry cleaning is mostly what, the, the cost of the people that work at the dry cleaner. Uh, the cost of haircuts is pretty much, you know, what the barber makes. And um, labor costs have been climbing uh, not as fast as inflation, but faster than 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 usual, because we've still got a very tight labor market. And you know, r- rising wages is generally a good thing, but it's not in anybody's interest to have your your paycheck get five percent bigger on paper if it's being gobbled up by a seven percent price hike. So, wages are going to have to rise less slowly in order to see uh, real progress on those services costs. Well, one more question I have is also about recent news. It's about the Fed, which cranked up interest rates even higher this month to the highest level in 15 years. And this is, of course, part of their job is uh, to try to curb rising prices. But, Scott, with inflation so stubbornly high, does the Fed seem confident in their ability to ratchet things down? Yes, uh, they they are confident, although it is certainly taking longer than they would have liked, and it's taking a, a, a sharper increase in interest rates than they would have anticipated. Uh, several times each year, uh, Fed policymakers put out a forecast of you know how high they think inflation is going to go, how high they think interest rates are going to have to go, uh, and and what they think is going to happen in the broader economy and. As a, as a general rule throughout this year, each each time they update their forecast, they project higher inflation and higher interest rates uh, than, than the previous time. Uh, but they are getting closer now to where they think interest rates need to be. And, and, and that's why, for example, when they raised rates in December, they only boosted interest rates by half a percentage point instead of three quarters of a point like they'd done the, the four previous times. Now, half a point is still a, a big rate increase. I mean, in, in normal times, the Fed usually moves interest rates only a quarter point at a time. So this has been a really aggressive boost in interest rates that seven times this year, the Fed has raised interest rates. They went from wow. near zero back in March to just under four and a half percent now. And they're going to go a little bit higher. Uh, on average, Fed policymakers think they'll have to go up to a a little north of 5% uh, next year. But at that point, they, they think that rates will be high enough to, to start to really put a dent in, in inflation. Um, it doesn't mean the rates are going to turn around and start falling anytime soon. So hmm. you know we're going to have to kind of get used to this higher interest rate environment for a while. Uh, and that's, that's having an effect. You, you see the impact on the housing market where home sales and home construction have dropped off. It's having an effect for people who uh, get a car loan. 
It also affects even uh, just the interest rate on credit cards. So if you're carrying a balance on your credit card, you're, you're paying more for that now than you were when this interest rate increase started. And Scott, won't there be other economic consequences? The Federal Reserve Chairman, I mean, basically is suggesting uh, unemployment is going to need to go up in order to uh, create a more stable economic environment. Yes, that's right. Although there's a question about how much of an increase in, in unemployment this is all likely to cause. I mean, the Fed is definitely deliberately trying to take some of the steam out of the economy to slow things down. And generally speaking, that translates to some uh, some increase in unemployment, some loss of jobs. Um, we haven't really seen that yet. The unemployment rate is historically low, 3.7% uh, in, in November. Um, w- w- the economy added more than 4 million jobs this year. At month after month, uh, we've seen hundreds of thousands of jobs added. So there's not really been any evidence of a slowdown in the job market yet. Uh, we, we have started to see some some big tech companies announce layoffs, but you know the weekly claims for unemployment benefits are, remain really low by historical standards. So a lot of companies are reluctant to lay workers off, even if they see a little bit of drop in business, uh, because they had so much trouble hiring workers. It's been so challenging to find workers uh, as we've recovered from the pandemic recession that companies are are much slower to hand out pink slips now than they were uh, in in pre-pandemic times. You know, we've seen businesses... uh, make adjustments to some of those supply chain uh, challenges where they where they keep more inventory on hand now. Uh, there's less just in time and more just in case. Mm. And I think something similar is happening in the labor market. Uh, f- for a long time, U.S. businesses sort of treated workers as a you know, just-in-time commodity. And when business was good, <laughs> they'd bring them on. And when business slowed, they'd let them go. But just as they're keeping safety stocks of uh, toilet paper and, and, and other materials now, uh, they're kind of keeping safety stocks of workers. And, and so hopefully uh, we won't see a, a big spike in, in unemployment uh, as a result of this Fed action. All right. We are going to take a quick break and we will have more in a second. And we are back. And we talked about inflation itself in the first half of the show. Now we are going to talk about the politics of inflation. Asma, you did a whole podcast episode on this. And inflation showed up over and over in our polls. I can tell you that voters over and over told me that inflation mattered most to them this year. And Republicans did win more votes nationally during the midterms while running on inflation by saying, in part, inflation is too high. But it was way, way closer than the lessons from past elections indicated it could be. So what do you make of the outcome of the midterms and how it relates to price increases? So I want to say two things here. I mean, one is I do think the polls accurately captured people's economic concerns. You know, you ask a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, chances are uh, you spend some time outside a grocery store, people are going to say they are frustrated with the price of uh, a whole host of grocery items that they are buying. I think the follow-ups are what we sort of got lost. Um, one of the things is which party do you actually think will do something better about inflation? And, you know, Democratic analysts have made this point that essentially there's no party out there is saying that they are 
pro-inflation, right? I mean, both parties think inflation at this level is not a good thing. And this was really different than, say, an issue like reproductive rights, where there were clearly um, Republicans and Democrats sat on different uh, polar opposites, and in some cases, you know, different sides on that issue. That was not the case on inflation. Both parties wanted inflation to go down. Now, you could argue that Republicans blamed Democrats for it being this high, said that, you know, that this was uh, Democrats' fault. On the flip side, you know, you had Democrats also saying and acknowledging in some cases, including the president, yes, inflation is too high, but what are Republicans going to do about it? They're threatening to cut programs like Social Security or or Medicare, and how is that going to help your cost of living? And so I think that that is part of what we didn't see capture in polls is that, yes, people are concerned with their own personal economy, but which party do they actually think will do something about it, I think, is is very different. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but this all comes down to the idea that really how people view the economy is through a polarized lens, like pretty much everything in our politics now. And Republicans didn't really offer any prescription for inflation. They did, you know, lay a lot of the blame for inflation on the the uh, American Rescue Plan, the big spending mm-hmm. bill that was passed in the early days of the Biden administration by the Democratic Congress. Um, and and clearly the, the rescue plan ha- had some role in higher prices in this country. They certainly put money in people's pocketbooks, which they used to fuel spending, and that put upward pressure on prices. But clearly there were other factors as well, like the war in Ukraine. I mean, we're, we are seeing high inflation around the globe, not just in the United States. And, and Republicans didn't really offer any prescription for how they would address inflation differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get back to something you were saying, Asma, about uh, polarization, because I feel like when we talk about, yeah, this polling about people saying inflation is the most important issue this year, That's true. But we also know that what team you're on plays such a big part in how you see the world. And I'm wondering about your take on the causality here. Is it that some voters saw high inflation and blamed Democrats and voted Republican? Or is it that people who were already inclined to vote Republican saw inflation as just another reason to do so? You know, that's an excellent question, Danielle. I would say I think it's more of the latter. You sort of view the economy through the team you're already on. Mm -hmm. Um, What I will say surprised me, and I saw this pop up particularly in the state of Georgia, where I met more split ticket voters than I have in recent history, where there were some voters who had reservations about the Senate candidate, the Republican Senate candidate, who told me, yes, they were concerned about inflation. Yes, they were concerned about rising prices. They uh, did vote for the Republican for governor, but ultimately they had other reservations in the case of the Senate candidate, and they decided to vote third party or vote for the Democratic candidate. And, you know, you pry and you push a little bit on inflation. And some people told me, well, you know, I recognize it's it's bad in other countries. Or, yes, I recognize there's a war going on, and that probably affects this all. So I think people tend to view the economy increasingly kind of through the lens that fits their preconceived notions. But I will say, Danielle, one last point is I don't know that this is necessarily unique to this particular election cycle. I think it seems a little unique because inflation was very high. But I did reporting in 2018 when the economy was doing pretty well on the fact that a number of Democrats weren't going out and voting for uh, Republicans in the 2018 midterms just because the economy was right, right? It's not like President Trump got credit for that economic situation at that time either. 
Scott, let me start with you. Uh, looking ahead to 2023, what are you watching for in the economy? Yeah, well, it is certainly dangerous to make predictions. I talked about how the smart folks uh, at the Federal Reserve have had to revise their own forecasts uh, every every few months here because the economy has just uh, defied crystal balls. Um, and, it, and there are just an, an awful lot of unknowns out there. We have seen how uh, the, the war or the weather can cause big swings in the price of food and fuel. Uh, and you tell me how the war is going to go, I'll, I'll tell you how mm-hmm. uh, you know oil prices are going to go. Um, but nobody really knows what's going to happen in Ukraine. Uh, what happens to the price of services depends a lot on what happens to the labor market. And that, in turn, is a function of uh, how many jobs do we add every month and how many workers stay on the sidelines or decide to come into the job market. Uh, it also depends on productivity. So there's just an awful lot of unknowns out there. I do think we're in for a period of slower economic growth and uh, uh, elevated inflation, but not as elevated as it has been in 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott, you just mentioned crystal ball. And I don't know if I shared the story with you all, but when I was interviewing one of Biden's top economic advisors recently, Jared Bernstein, he showed me this picture he keeps on his desk of a shattered crystal ball. Um, because to that very point, he says, you know, it's not like you can make a whole lot of predictions and, and know where things are going to go. I want to close out with one more question for you, Asma, given what you said earlier, because uh, on the one hand, Scott Horsley just told us that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in 2023. So I feel like asking you what's going to Mm -hmm. happen politically (laughs) is setting you up for failure. So let me ask you something else, which is. Though I can tell you what the president uh, said recently. Okay, let's start with him. He was asked, you know, when inflation will essentially return back to normal. And he said he hopes by the end of next year. So that would be the end of 2023. But he did say, I can't make that prediction. So there you have it. Given what you said earlier about how people view the economy through particular partisan lenses, is the upshot here that just increasingly uh, the economy has kind of lost its grip or maybe its effect on elections? Is that fair to say? Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. I think that the inflation situation right now, when you talk to a whole range of economists, they will often point to external factors. And it is it is valid that inflation is worse in a whole bunch of other countries than it is right now in the United States. So I think that because we are dealing with kind of um, global economic forces, uh, I would say an inflation situation that is worse in other countries and a, a war in Ukraine, that's made people interpret the economy here domestically, I think, a little differently than they would otherwise. I also think that, look, I mean, if inflation persists over the long run, if we see 1970s-style inflation, I think that really does change the calculation. Right. We are not really yet seeing anything like that. I don't think uh, it, it, the economy is become irrelevant in, the, in, in elections. I, I think the economy definitely influences elections. I, I think in terms of the Democrats and the, and the president, you know, what happens in 2024 is probably more important than what happens in 2023. Um, and it's really the trend line, not, not the mm-hmm. snapshot. All right, we are just going to have to leave it there for today. But Scott Horsley, Chief Economics Correspondent at NPR, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Until next time, I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover politics. And I'm Asma Khaled. I cover the White House. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.